This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Uh, Phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. The continuation of the all-out media assault on this administration is really something to behold, I have to say. It's... It's pretty remarkable um, as we watch all of this and as it continues to uh, rely largely upon leaks of highly classified information. Hmm. Uh, this, is this, this is the kind of thing that you would expect in a police state, in a truly authoritarian society, because it's inherently, keep in mind, when you're talking about phone intercepts like this, they are kept very close hold. So the conversation that General Flynn, for our former National Security Advisor, General Flynn, uh, the, the conversation that he had with a Russian ambassador is that there was no law enforcement warrant for that. So your due process and reason, you know, reasonable search and seizure, you look at all of your constitutional protections. FISA courts get around that in the sense that they can collect information, um, but it's never supposed to be. It, it's classified for a reason. It's classified for sources and methods reasons, but it's also classified because if you allow the weaponization of information obtained in, quite honestly, extra constitutional fashion, right? It, it's certainly extra constitutional if it's being used for domestic political purposes here in this country. There, there's a reason that disclosing this information is a felony. If you allow that, where does it stop? You know, I remember uh, having exposure to some very sensitive collection programs during my time at the CIA. And I can't tell you what they were, and I can't tell you really anything about them. But I can tell you that they, the way that they would explain this to you, so you really understood, you really understood the power of what was going on, is they said, well, if you, if you misuse this, uh, your career will be the last thing you're worried about because you're going to get marched out of here in handcuffs. Um, that's that's how they establish for you in the intelligence community how 
powerful and sensitive some of the programs are that they run. It's understood that there are criminal sanctions attached to this. And even at the NYPD, uh, I remember that when they were talking about uh, when we we're looking at counterterrorism investigations, which is all that I did there, I didn't do any straightforward law or, or run of the mill law enforcement it was only counterterrorism investigations in New York City. And they made it quite clear to us that if you use the tools that were available to the counterterrorism teams for spying on your ex-wife or out of curiosity or whatever, you would not only be fired, you would be prosecuted for official misconduct, criminally prosecuted for official misconduct. And in fact, I remember hearing a story about an individual at the NYPD who did misuse one of the collection platforms for personal purposes, for the purposes of a personal vendetta. And not only was he fired, but and this this is a, a very big deal in the law enforcement, in law enforcement circles, well, at least in the NYPD, I assume elsewhere, too. But they took his pension, I believe, as well. So he had served uh, for a long time. He was close to retiring and he misused a platform. Not only did they fire him, uh, but they also said that all of that work you've done that's supposed and the New York City Police Department's pension program is very, uh, uh, very generous. Probably, yeah. Well, if, when people hear about it, they go, "Wow, that's great. That's better than what I think I'd ever get in the private sector." And the answer is yes, it is. Uh, but he lost that too because they take it so seriously. Because the room for abuse with this stuff has to be zero. It has to be zero tolerance. Uh, you can't have a situation where there are some people in government who have access to information that is only to be obtained for national security purposes and kept in national security channels and leak that stuff out to the public. Just think of the mischief of the uh, political gamesmanship, of the backstabbing, of the ruined reputations um, that would occur if this were to become commonplace. And I think a lot of us recognize that it's most likely senior former officials who have done this, maybe some who are still on the inside of the bureaucracy. But there's a very high probability in my mind that what we've seen here is former administration officials who use their classified access for political payback against current administration officials. This is, this is completely uh, unacceptable. It's the sort of thing that you would expect in a country uh, where coups are commonplace and the regime wants to hold on to power because if they don't hold on to power, they know that people are going to jail. So it's quite different. Um, it's, it's quite different from what we've seen in the past. And, and those who are saying that the Trump administration is uh, Nixonian, I like to point out, what could be more Nixonian than selectively leaking classified to the press to bring down a national security advisor to throw an administration into disarray? That is illegal, and it's illegal for good reason. You see, usually when people talk about leaks and they say, well, this was a leak that was, uh, this is a leak that relies on the First Amendment to speak truth to power, we decide as a society sometimes and there are even debates about this, but uh, about, on, on an individual case-by-case -case basis. Right? We decide as a society, okay, this was uh, 
in official channels, but there was malfeasance here. And the public's right to know this information was more important than the right to protect it. That just doesn't apply in the Flynn case because what he did, again, was not was not criminally prosecutable, was not uh, outside the bounds of what we would expect someone in his position to be doing, really. And uh, this is setting a standard whereby if you have access to any embarrassing information, you know, how would the press then you can release it? How would the press feel? If Hillary Clinton, instead of a Russian hacker uh, breaking into and breaking in makes it sound like it was some really complicated situation, instead of a Russian hacker breaking in to the DNC servers and to John Podesta's email accounts, what if a Republican operative working for the intelligence community or working, let's say working at the White House, but who has a clearance and who therefore is governed by all of the laws with regard to security clearances, and they are draconian. They are very strict. And for the rest of us who have had to live under them, it's hard for us. You know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for honest, good faith errors when it comes to handling a classified because I know that people do make mistakes. I have a lot of sympathy um, for those who and, and, and think that there should be considerable uh, mercy and and second chances given to people who make good faith errors because it's really hard. And the government's position when it comes to classified information is honestly nonsensical and untenable in certain cases in some ways, not always. Right? If somebody's sharing the, the, the nuclear code with their Chinese hand, nuclear codes with their Chinese handler, that, that's obviously not a good faith error. And that's black and white. That's very clear. But there are other other situations where the government will claim that a program is classified, even though government officials with classified access are openly talking about it to the media, including the president. Well, I'm sorry that that doesn't you know, we don't live in some bizarro world where Obama can talk about it, but I can't say the same things. Right. I mean, that That's not OK. That's not acceptable. That's not moral. That's not ethical. It's not. And it should not be the way our legal system works. So I have a lot of sympathy, but this is not a good faith error. This is political score settling and this is political takedown. I don't even really like to say that it's payback for the Hillary election loss because it's really also trying to lay the groundwork for the next election for the Democrats. This isn't just about what happened before. This is about what's going to happen in the future. This is a power play. This is Democrats trying to take out their rivals. Bottom line. But just to finish off my, uh, my thought experiment for you, imagine that instead of a Russian hacker saying, hey, give me your password, and it's password for Podesta's email accounts or for the DNC accounts, um, that you had a Republican operative in the White House who had access to signals intelligence, which means intercepts of phone, which includes intercepts of phone conversations, and they somehow, let's say, you know, Podesta was overseas, or forget about, forget about Podesta. You know, Hillary was having an embarrassing conversation about, oh, I don't know, Clinton Foundation business with one of the foreign entities that she's done a tremendous amount of Clinton Foundation business, and it is business, as we know, with. And that Republican operative leaked that private conversation to destroy, well, as much as it's possible to destroy Clinton's reputation, destroy Hillary Clinton's reputation and throw the presidency to the Republicans. You would have Democrats unanimously saying that this was this was treason that this is uh, undermining the elected uh, the, the elected representative of 
one of two major parties in this country, that it's abuse of position, abuse of the trust given to those who have classified, and they're throwing all of this out now. You know, I, I know we spend a lot of time these days identifying hypocrisy and identifying double standards, but it's really necessary because th- there's a, a, a shift happening right now. There is really a sea change in the press's ability to just go f- just to, to, to ram a narrative down the throat of the American people, even though we know it's not true. Uh, we have the Internet now. We have alternative means of fact-checking and sourcing information. And most importantly, we have information recall. We can see what these journalists who are now pretending that this is a fantastic victory for journalism. Do we have a stelter clip, by the way, of saying that this is a victory for journalism? Can you, can you play that for me, Shimon? Insight for a it while, was, and, and by the, the DNI way, a big moment for investigative journalism. Right. This has been moment. a story led by the Washington Post, the New York yes. Times, the huge. CNNs of the world. Uh, if it weren't for journalists digging, digging, digging into this, we wouldn't know about it. So when you hear about anonymous sources, when you hear about leaks from the White right. House or from the government, right. this is the, uh, and, what, what that's so important for. And- okay, so Stelter knows, he, he, he doesn't know anything about classified or intelligence or anything else. So let's just start there. It's just, just bloviating, has no idea what he's talking about with any of that. Okay, so we start there. And that they're digging, digging, digging. No, they, they didn't go into the archives and find this. They, this wasn't detective work on the part of journalists. This is Democrat operatives, some of whom are almost certainly still inside of the government, spoon-feeding them information to destroy a presidency. That doesn't require... The, the, the pat on the back for journalists here makes me want to vomit. And pat on the back for what? You they oh we expose Flynn and Flynn yeah look Flynn's Flynn's mistake and, and I admit initially I, I even thought well Flynn must have done something there must be something more to this it couldn't just be that Flynn would would be foolish enough to lie to Trump and and his advisors right that just doesn't seem like oh well I guess that is what it is because I've looked at all the others uh, the all the other stories out there everything else they're saying and there's there's they don't have any smoking gun they don't have anything even close to that on russia connections and russian influence let me move on to a main story today dominating the news cycle in the new york times about trump campaign aides with repeated contacts with russian intelligence i'm going to pull this apart but you got to stay with me we'll hit it after the break be right back buck sexton on the blaze radio network Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. 
Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. You are listening to The Buck Sexton Show. So this sounds really nefarious. I'm the I'm the first to admit this, or not the first, but I'm just saying I'm quick to admit this. It sounds very nefarious. Here you have the New York Times writing that Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. And then you have the details of the story. And first of all, this is an, another instance of completely anonymous sourcing. And they're calling them current and former American officials. So I think we can be clear. The former officials are almost certainly Obama administration officials appointees, political hacks. It's possible they're not. They may be civil servants, at least officially speaking, civil servants. But I, I, I can you imagine trying to get involved in this? It's a very, it's a very tricky and dangerous game to start playing, leaking classified to undermine the, the current White House. Keep in mind that. The precedent that Obama set with in dealing with journalists was that they would uh, they would do phone taps on journalists. We know this because of the because of the warrants that have come out and because of the cases. Then uh, they even labeled a journalist a co-conspirator in a classified leak situation. So the Obama administration, you know, this those of us who were warning for years, Obama is setting up terrible precedents. Obama is getting away with things that you would not let anyone get anyone else get away with. Uh, fourth estate media journalists, you are selling out your most what should be your most sacred principles of your profession and of your obligation to this country as citizens who have a, a voice that will be heard and can can reach a broad audience. You're selling all of that out because you're so in love. You're so enthralled, so enamored with this Obama administration. We were saying that it was true. It wasn't just partisan nonsense. It was true. And now we see the outcome. Uh, now we see the outcome of what happens when the press acts a certain way, when they think that their beliefs and their policies and their really day-to-day philosophy of life and their, and their role in the world is reflected in the White House, which is what they believe under the Obama administration, and is being constantly challenged by the White House, which is how they feel about the Trump administration. And, of course, they just hate the Trump administration, more importantly. So, uh, but you have back this New York Times piece. Big, it's really the biggest news story today. The phone records and intercepted uh, calls show that members of Donald J. Trump's presidential campaign had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence officials in the year before the election. Uh, so, that sounds really bad. Later, lower in the piece, they say, quote, the officials interviewed in recent weeks said that so far they had seen no evidence of, of, of any cooperation. Okay, so they so they're saying that Trump administration officials had contacts with Russian intelligence, which is a much more omnipresent part of Russian society than it is here in America, right? I mean, America. Once you get outside of D.C., you say you're an intelligence officer, other than military intelligence, but I mean a civilian intelligence officer, you know, part of CIA or 
And some people go, ooh, you're in D.C. Everyone's like, yeah, so is my cousin. You know, nobody cares. But once you get outside the rest of the country, it's a little bit more of a rarity to come across somebody who has that affiliation. I mean, in Russia, intelligence officers are intertwined in business, government, everything. Uh, it's a much more, in fact, there's a, a book that I recommend to you called The New Nobility, which was just about how the KGB became the ruling elite of Russia after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, after the end of the Cold War, it was the KGB that took over the country, and, and they decide which oligarchs get to stay in power and which ones don't. And you look at the ultimate oligarch, really, is Vladimir Putin, who is a, a what, everybody? Former KGB officer. So were these contacts, uh, were these contacts, this New York Times piece writes about nefarious? They don't know. Was there anything that anyone in the Trump team did that um, crossed some lines, uh, ethical or even criminal lines? They don't know. And I think that's also a very important question to ask. Well, we're talking about people that, that are looking at transcripts of intercepted phone calls using our most sensitive, most expensive, most important classified collection platforms. They have access to all that. And they like to put out, the, they like to insinuate, they like to, uh, to, to put out statements where people will make an obvious, they'll come to the obvious conclusion of, oh, well, okay, in this case, here's what this is. And the reality here is that there's no real evidence. They've got nothing really to go with here um, other than just the insinuation. And if they had real evidence, don't you think we would know? They're leaking the contents of transcripts. Don't we all think that that's a situation where they would already have the information that they need? Don't we think that's the case? What are we waiting for exactly? They already have access to the classified. So they're telling us about phone calls, but saying we don't have evidence yet that there's anything bad that went on here. Wouldn't they already have it? They're, they have transcripts of intercepted phone calls. All right, we got more. Stay with me. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. joined by Vince Colonese. He is the editor-in-chief. Always fun to say it that way. Editor-in-chief Vince Colonese of The Daily Caller. Vince, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Nice to be here. Thank you, Buck. Uh, so let's talk about some pieces here. Journalists, I was just talking about this one. This is the New York Times Trump Russia Intel story, right? Journalists are yeah. freaking out over this. It's nothing. There's nothing new in this. There's nothing new. Right. And the extent to it. So, so there's a couple things. One, it, it does seem like the New York Times rehashed a story that they had written in January and sort of just put a new topper on it to try and make it interesting. Uh, it's not clear to me whether or not these these leaks are from any any times recently. Now, you know, it's it's very interesting given the context that you know the president tweets yesterday that he's the big story here is are obviously leaks. And I actually agree with the president on that. And I think the biggest story at this moment is the extent to which people are leaking from within the government uh, critically classified information, meaning 
the specific words and communications of American citizens, that's, you know, kind of a big deal, um, rather than sort of the specter of chaos that's been created around Trump and the people in his orbit, meaning like nonstop. And at this point, almost every single story that you and I read that has the words Russia, Trump in it always involves like, was there something untoward being done? Was something happening? And so far, I haven't read the smoking gun. I haven't seen any any evidence whatsoever that any of the conversations that either did or have alleged to have happened have involved either Russia uh, uh, having some sort of surreptitious control of the United States or Russia uh, cooperating with the Trump campaign in order to help him win the presidency. None of those things have been proven, yet constantly the drumbeat on this story suggests that it's all over, that, that it's a foregone conclusion, Trump's guilty, Russia's running everything. I have to say, given that we're already we're already uh, privy to all this leaked information about uh, community, also I'm starting to see now that there's some some are some are saying that this is an FBI investigation, and I say, oh oh, so now we have the leaked details of who the FBI is phone tapping, <laughs> as though that makes it better. <laughs> like, why would that be? So now you have domestic law enforcement agencies, never mind external intelligence collection agencies, a, a domestic law enforcement agency playing. Right. The worst kind of politics. And, you know, imagine if that's the new standard. Anytime the FBI has an investigation, they find something embarrassing about somebody that just manages to find its way to the press and nobody's disciplined. I mean, the Hillary uh, but given campaign, the kind of in- the, the Hillary campaign spent all of last year arguing that the idea that they were being investigated is not that big of a deal. Let the FBI conduct its investigation. They're on a fact finding mission. And once they have the facts, then we can go from there. I mean, this was now it's again, it's just the specter of investigation is enough to create havoc. And that's why I'm seeing a lot of smart people claiming that, you know, when the when the government's tools start getting turned against its citizens or even people in power in order just to create pressure on them through anonymous sources, that's the those are the activities of a police state. In the words of Eli Lake in the writing, I thought a good column for Bloomberg um, that that's. Right. But given given the, the access to information, Vince, that that these leakers have already proven they have, if there were illicit contacts between the Russians, I mean, remember, we're not just hearing about the contact. We're hearing about the content of the calls. I mean, this Bingo. is really Bingo. sensitive stuff. If if they don't have it yet. Why are we always supposed to believe that it's just around the corner? It's, it's just days away. Then we're going to find out. And what are we going to find out, by the way? That the Russians gave Donald Trump uh, a suitcase full of cash to to do whatever the Kremlin wants. But the guy's a billionaire. I mean, he might not be like worth nine billion, but he's worth a lot of money. Like, what? Well, I just don't understand. Precisely the point. I, I totally agree with you. I'm sorry. I'm like so antsy about that particular point. I'm like trying to interrupt you. Um, no, the truth is that if you're say if you're in the government and you see some information across your desk and you have, you have very you have classified you have classified uh, uh, status be able to read something like this, you see something so unbelievably important that you think to yourself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to risk jail time by releasing this this to the public because I believe as a patriot that this information must absolutely get out. Well, apparently the nonsense that we've read so far has risen to that standard in the eyes of some of these people because like, is is this stuff really worth breaking the fire alarm over? Because we, we found out that General Flynn had a conversation with the ambassador to Russia. And the contents of that conversation seemed to suggest that the discussion of the 35 Russians that the Obama administration threw out were in it. Everyone sort of agrees at this point, and now, now and General Flynn included, 
But General Flynn says, yeah, it did come up. And all I could tell them was, hey, when we finally get in the office, we'll be able to talk about all sorts of things. Um, we'll, we'll, of course, I think at some point find out what the exact truth of that conversation was. But is there any reason to believe in any version of this story that it was absolutely worth smashing the fire alarm to tell the American public that and and violate the civil liberties of Mike Flynn? At this point, I'm not convinced in the least. I also think it's fascinating that that if to believe the the Trump Kremlin connection here, one would have to also believe that Donald Trump could go about uh, enacting incredibly pro Putin, uh, you know, Russian puppeteer policy, right? Pushing for things that are clearly against American interests and in favor of Russian interests. And that the Republican Party and everyone's just going to go along with this. <laughs> There's going to be no problem here. I, I don't, you know, wh- where where is the leverage that Russia is going to have to make Trump do things that he wouldn't otherwise do? I'm not saying it's not possible, but we just there's no evidence of anything that would rise to that level. Paul Manafort, I don't know. Was he taking, you know, paper bags full of cash to do some shady stuff politically in Ukraine? I don't know. Maybe. But that's not Donald Trump. So this is for me, I I keep getting back to the same point of they're running these stories about the Russia connection, the Russia connection. And I'm like, can someone tell me what the Russia connection actually can someone give me something other than conjecture and innuendo? Because I I have nothing. A a, a reasonable person could say, oh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton getting enormous checks and being flown all over the world in private jets by foreign entities that would have an influence on them. Because one, they're not worth a billion dollars, and two, that's how they're making all of their money. Right. But the, but the media yeah, acted like that was oh no, it's it's all about humanitarian concerns. With Trump, they're saying that they've bought and sold Trump already. That's the implication. Bought him and sold him how? With what? Right, and nobody's and nobody's made the case because they don't. Again, they don't have any evidence that it's yielded any sort of results for Russia, this notion that they somehow are wielding influence over him. And in fact, in the last 48 hours, I believe, you're seeing all sorts of acts of sort of Russian aggression uh, related to U.S. properties, including Russian jets flying way too close in the Black Sea to uh, U.S. US, a U.S. ship. Um, you have Russian spy ships off the coast of the United States, not within our territorial waters, but well within the economic zone of, of the United States. So you're seeing all sorts of like small bits of Russian aggression where they're, where they're kind of coming close and trying to demonstrate to the United States, hey, we're kind of doing what we want. And in what circumstance it, does that seem like the Russians and the United States, meaning, the Obama, meaning in this case the Trump administration, are getting along and being chummy? That doesn't seem like that at all. I just it's amazing to me that this goes with without without question in so many newsrooms across the country and so many places. This just seems to be taken as as obvious. And to me, it's, it's anything right. but this notion there's well, a nexus a between. Go ahead. It's just it's just it's just a default presumption of guilt instead of instead of coming at this the way the press is expected to, which is, yes, be adversarial. Yes, be critical. But but never have I seen so much of a presumption of just outright guilt, just that Trump's guilty. Let's, let's, you know, reach your conclusion first and then find the evidence to support it rather than see what's out there and then come to conclusions, which is the way it's supposed to be done. 
Yeah, I, I've I've never had any journalist. I've never read any piece that explained to me what the motivations would be because because the allegation and sometimes it's explicit and sometimes it's implicit in these pieces. The allegation is that President Donald Trump is a traitor to his country and will sell out his country for Russian interests. That's what they're saying. And I have just seen no evidence of that. Have a has he said things about Putin that, you know, I don't think is necessarily on the mark, of course. Obama said all kinds of things about Iran and Cuba, and, you know, you name it that I didn't think were on the mark. I wasn't walking around saying nor was anybody else with any sort of following and and credibility on the Republican side of things saying that uh, Obama is a, is a is an Iranian Manchurian candidate taking his orders from Tehran. I just think he's a guy who doesn't know very much about how the world works and had really bad foreign policy instincts. That's different than saying he is a puppet he is under the control of and that's what they're cla- that's what they're claiming with Trump and I just think that this is I'm still waiting for there to be evidence of this. And journalists act like they get all huffy. So many of them when you yeah. say, well, wh- yeah. where is the wh- wh- not not just evidence motivation? Why why would Donald Trump do this? I, I keep coming back to that point. What is I mean, I, well, you know, I, I, I've been honest with my audience, Vince. I, I knew Trump a little bit growing up. I knew his family a little bit growing up. I mean, they're New Yorkers. Why does he even want to be the president? He doesn't have to deal with all this crap. Right. <laughs> What's his motivation to sell out to Russia? Well, presumably in the eyes of the left, it's, it was to steal the election, right? That this is a part of um, a chain of reasons and explanations for why Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. That has nothing to do with Hillary's failures as a candidate. So it's everything from fake news to Russian infiltration in the election. Uh, there's, uh, there's a litany of excuses that are being made for why that happened. And once those excuses took root, all they've done is just is just continue to blossom despite the fact that there there's not a tremendous amount of evidence that that came anywhere close to being the truth yet here we are the press runs with them like a hive mind they just move in one direction this is the reason why and i realize i probably have to go in a second but this is the reason why caitlin collins our white house correspondent asked a question about the greatest national security threat facing the country of the president this week she was excoriated by our colleagues in the press for daring to ask a question that wasn't one that was given to her by the broader press corps, which was, what's going on with Mike Flynn? When are you going to fire this guy? Uh, hello, screw you. The, the, the American public cares sincerely about things like, say, where's the next war going to be? Rather than, you know, personnel issues all the time, every day. Everything can't be a reality show. Occasionally, we have to be responsive to the things that voters and readers genuinely care about. And I can say you got Chuck Todd, who is very respected within uh, center left journalistic establishments. I could say that, I suppose, thinks that the Flynn resignation is the biggest scandal since Iran Contra. Um, that's just insane. That's just not, that's just insane. I don't know what else to say. I mean, what's the proof for that? That Again, you, you and I are now asking the same question over and over, and I think deservingly so. And I think people should should not, should not stop asking this question. Every story you read going forward, just be like, okay, prove it. I just want to know, what are the facts? And so far, for, for uh, uh, an entire industry that's cried about the prevalence of so-called fake news, they've spent a lot of time not delivering facts to support an argument that seems to be made very broadly, which is that Trump is completely compromised by the Russians. And uh, again, I have not seen evidence to support that yet. And in fact, it's so scant and so embarrassingly scant that I'm shocked by how many lead stories revolve around this issue. Vince Colonese is the editor-in-chief of The Daily Caller. Go to dailycaller.com for more. And Vince, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Buck.
Good to talk to you, my friend. All right, team, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. If you have never thought about it before, let me tell you, you really should give some consideration to getting a silencer for your firearm. It'll make your time out at the range more enjoyable. I've been out there. I've been out on the range uh, shooting with a silencer. And look, if you give me my choice, I'll take a silencer over unsilenced every single time. I'm very protective of my hearing. It's why I only wear one earpiece when I do radio or TV. Uh, I don't want to. I, I want to at least keep one ear good to go. And as you know, the the blast, uh, the blast from f- shooting can damage your ears if you don't have pr- uh, proper ear protection. A silencer makes that much less of an issue. It'll protect your hearing, and uh, you'll have a better time out there shooting. Makes it more social, more fun. Silencershop.com is the best place to go. Uh, you can read testimonials on the site. You can pick out the brand you want. And when it comes to getting that paperwork done, because there is a little bit of paperwork to do, Silencer Shop is simply the best place. They do thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of those of those forms all the time, month in, month out. So uh, check it out, silencershop.com. Again, silencershop.com. Help make the world, help make your world a quieter place. Uh, so we got that. We got that going on, which is nice. Um, I've been watching this show called... Uh, uh, taboo, and I like the main actor. I think he does a good job, and he's he's interesting, and his character is interesting. But the show is so dark, and very little happens. And I just sort of wonder to myself, who is it that when they're making these shows, they figure let's just make this as dark and depressing as possible, and and even if there's not much of a storyline to speak of, and not a lot of stuff happens, we'll just have a lot of of. Ominous vibes and and some really uh, gratuitous violence and unhappy people walking around in the shadows. I don't know. I, and I'm like, well, Buck, why do you watch it? Because I think Tom Hardy's really good in the lead role, but it's not. And I'm, I'm looking for a new show, everybody. So maybe I'll post on Facebook. I need, but it has to be. Well, actually, no. Miss Molly has cable, but it would be nice if it were Netflix on Am- or Amazon. Something that I that's not obvious. I tried Paul Dark recently. I like it, but. I don't know, all that British stuff on British estates and the class warfare in Britain in the 18th and 19th centuries and such doesn't really get me that. It doesn't really blow my mind. So I got to find something else. I need to find a new show. Uh, second hour, we got a lot more news to get through. Much more coming your way, team. So 888-900-3393 if you want to call in. Team Buck, I'll be back with you in just a few. Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. 
Welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We're joined by our friend, our pal, Emily Zanotti. She's a political editor at Heat Street. She's E-M-Z-A-N-O-T-T-I on Twitter. Heatstreet.com is the website. Emily is the guest. What's up, lady? Not much. How's it going? You know, I had like a solid uh, a solid hour to celebrate Valentine's Day last night after radio. So that was, you know, because it's late. So I feel like my <laughs> Valentine's Day was not quite where where it should be this year, but I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, working on, how about you? It was pretty good, but I mean, we don't usually do a whole lot. We actually went to Hooters and got chicken wings. So <laughs> it was fairly unromantic. <laughs> Hooters, the, the, the bar and chicken wing establishment uh, most notable for the scantily clad ladies? Yes, I quite enjoy their chicken wings, so I can handle the. I, the I, I do hear people say, and they don't—they don't say it to be funny. They say the chicken wings are actually delicious. Is that true? They are. They are. They're some of the best. Okay. Nice. All right, I'll take. It. I, I, as a celiac, it's hard for me to find chicken wings that aren't uh, doused in flour. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I know, right? Messes up. Yeah. Messes up my whole jam. Okay, let's get it. Let's get into some stuff from HeatStreet.com here. Um, Let's start with club privileges. Mar-a-Lago members get treated to classified briefing on North Korea by Trump and the Japanese PM. What happened here? So back over the weekend, North Korea fired a ballistic missile. And this all happened while Donald Trump was eating dinner with the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe at Mar-a-Lago. And so they had to rush in, give him a short briefing, get him to a press conference, give him paperwork on all of this. And so if you were at Mar-a-Lago on Sunday night, you got this really amazing front row seat to everything that was happening. So you got to see the national security apparatus basically in action. Yeah, okay. They say, yeah. of course, that it was just the media response. And they didn't discuss anything classified. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But the other side of this is too that that discussions in real time, what's classified and what's not, is often in the in the uh, well, I guess in the eye of the beholder. Maybe it's in the ear of the listener. But uh, you know, I've never been to Mar-a-Lago. Sad, sad exclamation point. Here, here. You ever been? Two hundred thousand dollars to get in. No, I've never been. It's kind of uh, in my next life. I'm coming back fancy. Do, but... That's how. Um, if if I get reincarnated, <laughs> I want to come back fancy. I want. I want to be one of these Mar-a-Lago people. I want to be one of those people who's just like, you know what? I have two hundred thousand dollars laying around. I'm going to join a golf club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I would agree with that. Instead of one of those people, it's like, can I go to the doctor or should I just, you know, right. should I just cut off whatever I need to cut off off my my toe myself? You know, because it's expensive to go to the doctor. Um, Am I all right, die let's go or not? to. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like the. I mean, the emergency room. The copay's high. I might have to. Yeah, right. I might have to give this one a few more days today. All right. So uh, let's go to the next one here. Yale to host Black Panther Party to celebrate Black History Month. Really, Yale. Yes. Really. Really, Yale. <laughs> Especially considering they're in New Haven, which was actually host to one of the Black Panthers' most notorious criminal trials. They actually went after the police in New Haven, Connecticut. But apparently we have 50 years removed. So now the social justice warriors at 
Yale would like to use Black History Month to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Black Panthers. And they even traveled to Oakland. They went to a Black Panther conference where they met a bunch of Black Panthers and learned all about how they inspired social justice. And then they came back to Yale and they're going to throw this party and then present their findings. So uh, it should be a rousing good time. I'm, I'm not sure what kind of snacks you serve at a Black Panther party, but it's probably going to be good. Are, are you up on the Yale renaming Calhoun, John Calhoun Dormitory? Yeah, it's a Grace Hopper you Dormitory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are they going to call it? Grace Hopper Hall. Oh. After a um, uh, famous female uh, scientist and mathematician, I believe. You know, if it's such an affront to to dignity and to social justice to have a a, a, a dorm named after somebody who is pro-slavery and... You know, I, it's a private institution, and if they don't want to name it after a uh, a slave, you know, but then, of course, we get another, what about the Washington Monument? Then I, I know this creates a whole bunch of things, yeah. but this is a private institution. They, they can call it whatever they want to call it. I've got no beef with that. I just do think it's it's kind of amusing that Elihu Yale was not just a, a, a slavery advocate, but a slave trader, in fact, himself, one who procured and then sold human beings as property, and yet I don't think they're going to change the name of Yale University. I, I I I think they're going to hold on to the uh, the value of that has been created for the big Y Yale. I I don't think they're going to yeah. let that go, despite the social justice implications. That seems to have escaped all of these conversations. And I've been covering this story about Calhoun Hall for I think about eight months now because it's been going back and forth. They had a stained glass window that depicted John Calhoun that got broken because people were offended just by seeing it. And they were going Wasn't back it a, a, a custodian or whatever the proper term yeah. is. It was, it was like as an employee, right? Yeah. It was a, like a restaurant worker, like somebody who serves in the cafeteria. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And so it was this big broke deal. A stained glass window. That's pretty, that's pretty aggressive. You know, those things are usually pretty expensive from what I understand. And it was one of a kind. It had been in Calhoun oh. Hall since the late 1840s. So he pretty much broke a priceless piece of art. Yeah, but he did it for he, he did it as an SJW, so that means it's okay. By the way, we need to come up with a better term than social justice warrior because there's nothing warrior-like about these people. No. We do call them social justice whiners. We need to come up with something. <laughs> something, yeah, because I can't imagine that these guys are really that militant, honestly. Yeah, I mean, when was when was the last time that you know we we got a somebody got together a bunch of uh, a bunch of army rangers and, and they were protesting you know transgender bathroom rights somewhere? I'm not aware of that ever happening. Those are actual warriors. I feel like social justice warriors. We need to come up with a a new term for them because they are not warriors. Nonetheless, I digress. I don't think Yale's going to change its name either. And no. there's that. Well, I wanted to. Well, yeah, I know. Amarosa. She's gotten a little a little feisty with reporters. What happened here? This is also on HeatStreet.com, everybody. Great website. If you haven't checked it out, I really recommend it. Go ahead. So Amarosa has kind of a reputation of being a hothead. She won The Apprentice back, I think, in the first or second season. And she's had this reputation for being a little aggressive. And she and a White House reporter... Uh, have had a long-standing dispute all the way through the Trump campaign. She and this reporter have been going at it, I believe, since March or April of last year. And it finally came to blows, 
sort of, right outside of the press secretary's office at the White House. So she and this woman got into a screaming match over this woman's coverage of the Trump administration, that she was in the tank for Hillary. And then Omarosa apparently said that the Trump administration has been keeping dossiers on journalists, including this woman. So it, it was kind of an odd thing to happen, but uh, the two of them probably need to settle their differences. Maybe, I don't know. In Does Omarosa have an administration? Does she have an administration job? I wasn't even aware of what she was doing. Yeah, she's a communications officer in the White House press office. Wow. Wow. What do you think about all the infighting between that's at least being reported on between the what is it, the the Bannon uh, faction and the Priebus yeah. faction in the Trump? Do you, do you think that's legit? Or do you think this is just the the media acting like a bunch of sixth grade girls trying to start a, trying to start drama? I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's definitely some animosity between the two factions. They don't like each other. They didn't work well together on the campaign. But at the same time, I think the media just really likes imagining that the Trump White House is like two seconds from coming to blows every day when they get out of bed. They just put on their armor and go straight to work and just want to beat each other up. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the sense that they do not particularly like the Trump administration. <laughs> I think that's I think that is fair to point yeah. out. Um, do you do you have what's what's your take on the whole Flynn resignation? By the way, I've been asking everybody who comes on. I'm just wondering, what do you you know, you, big deal? What, what do you think? I feel like it's a big deal, but I feel like it's caused a lot more trouble than it initially resolved. I think this guy wasn't particularly well liked from the beginning. Uh, but now we have questions about whether the administration knew about Flynn for an extended period of time, whether they were also communicating. And then people are going on television shows and trying to make excuses and it's just getting muddier and muddier. So it's it's an interesting situation to me. It's not something I've encountered with a with a White House before. Oh, and and back to uh, stuff on your on your heat street on the website. I was looking for this piece before. I want to make sure I got the details right. This isn't yours. One of your colleagues, uh, Lucas uh, Michelionis. Was does that sound? Is that, yeah. <laughs> am I close? Okay, close enough. Yeah. So there's a a, yeah. a young woman in Brazil who was approached by uh, uh, approached by some Brazilian women who are who were black, according to the story here. And they told her mm-hmm. that she's white and she's not allowed to wear a turban on her head, that it's an appropriation of culture. Right. Uh, they did not stop to think that this is a young woman who is going through chemotherapy and is completely bald because of the side effects, the very debilitating side effects of chemotherapy. I feel like normal people read this and they say to themselves, social justice warriors <laughs> are, I know, I got to come in, social justice whiners. I'm going to start. We're going to start a whiners. campaign right here. Yeah, warriors. So, social justice whiners are. Um, are, are, are out of their minds and they actually they, they say and do just jerk jerk like and hurtful things yeah. because they're so enamored with their own self-righteousness but i think so social justice whiners read this kind of a story and they say to themselves you know in every in every war there are casualties and sometimes right. we're going to hurt people's feelings for the cause of social so i don't think they're chastened by this but sort of thing at all it. i think a normal human being would be would be horrified to be around this to see this to hear this kind of an exchange but I feel like social justice whiners, they're like, eh, you know, it's not perfect. And we're, we got a war to fight here for social justice. That's my take on it, at least. 
It's been interesting watching a lot of these stories happen in the last couple of weeks because on Facebook, people who I think would normally be called a snowflake have started to defend themselves and are starting to say, well, you know, it's great to be a snowflake. I'm unique and there's only one like me and I'm just so different from everybody and you have to stand out from the crowd. So they're kind of pulling it back and saying, you know what, I'm proud to be a social justice warrior and if I'm wrong, then I don't want to be right. And it's it's a really strange dynamic because most of the stories we hear are like this poor girl in Brazil who gets basically accosted in the middle of the street and told to take her turban off because she's culturally appropriating someone else's tradition, I guess. And that seems to be more of what I hear also, than anything not, not th- really positive movement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not not to not to get it, not to treat this like it should be treated with any, or not to, not to discuss this like it should be treated with 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 any uh, respect or, or seriousness in the sense that this is the way the conversation should go. But even if one was to have a conversation with the cult of cultural appropriation of a turban, you cover a lot of territory that way. There are there are a lot of different folks that I think could make yeah. a claim to that's ours. I mean. It, 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 this is not like a you know, this is like somebody saying, you know, a T-shirt. You can't wear that. It's cultural appropriation. A lot of people wear T-shirts. Right. And of course, every time you decide to make fun of a poor girl with cancer and, and push push against her, you're taking the spotlight away from real incidents of misogyny and sexism and racism and actual cultural appropriation. It kind of muddies the water. So you don't actually know when you have a serious incident. And that makes it a lot harder for people who really are opposed to these things to do their job. Yep. All right. Emily Zanotti, political editor at (laughs) heatstreet.com. Everyone should go check out heatstreet. It's a great site. Emily, thank you so much for joining. Come back soon. I will. All right, team, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I see this stuff and it gets me uh, very upset for obvious reasons because I have to live with the constant uh, anxiety as a as a broadcaster or somebody who does uh, these days five hours a day of radio um, and also goes on TV to talk about things. The the terrifying moment, the gut wrenching, I'm going to uh, go and and toss my cookies on the floor moment that would come from saying something that you don't intend to be controversial but you, you just say something and it comes out the wrong way or it can be misinterpreted or you stumble or whatever right um i i've this is something that anybody who especially when you're talking you know i don't get to read off of a prompter and just i i, I don't have a, a team in that sense that's preparing my sorry new york city you got the fire truck or whatever there uh but i'm just speaking extemporaneously for hours and hours and hours I'm, i speak when i'm tired I speak when I've, you know, got relationship problems. I speak when I'm sick. I speak when I'm, uh, you know, I'm distracted. I, I can't always hear and I got to respond to comments. And you're always worried, you know, like the audio is going to cut out on a caller or, or, or cut out on my end. And he's going to say, yeah, and that's why, you know, 
You know, that, that's why I joined the KKK. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you so much for your call. So, you know, I just you don't know. Right. I mean, you're always you're always trying to be aware of this. And you, at some point you just say, well, well, you know, crap, what can you do? Just got to just got to roll the dice. Just got to do your thing. Um, but I have a tremendous sympathy for people who, especially when they're when they're they've done nothing wrong and the social justice whiners come after them. And this is a, a case. I saw this. And I meant to talk about on the show before you got ESPN is being sued by uh, Doug Adler because at the Australian Open, he said that uh, African-American female tennis superstar Venus Williams was using a, quote, gorilla style of play. And he meant and I heard the I heard the comment in context as well when it happened. He clearly to me and to him meant G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, guerrilla or little war. And he, in his defense, has pointed out that Nike has a whole guerrilla tennis commercial featuring Andre Agassi. Um, and there, there are other places, too, where this has come up. Does anybody really think this guy was was trying to use an ethnic slur against them among the most famous tennis players in the world ever on a live broadcast that that, that was his intent um, because this guy used a uh, uh, a homophone here um, he has lost his job so there <laughs> they, they fired him they've ruined his reputation I, I can't imagine being this guy and this reminds me of when that I think it was a writer for ESPN as well uh, wrote uh, wrote chink in the armor. Now, that one is a, that that one for me is a little more like, you know, you're writing. You got to look at the headline. Maybe you just missed it. But speaking extemporaneously about something and saying clearly guerrilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A and getting fired for it. It's just too much. It's just too much. You know, the the sensitivity police are, are really really are police in the sense that they'll do damage to you. I mean, you'll get hurt. You know, they'll take out the batons. This isn't like you're just going to get a warning and you can apologize. It's gotten worse. It really has. It used to be that if you apologize and showed contrition, you could maybe make one of these mistakes and your career would live to fight another day. Now, if you offend an aggrieved group or you're a conservative, you're done. You're out. You're finished. Uh, and this is just this is just wrong. It's just unjust. There's no no reasonable person, no reasonable jury would hear what happened here with this guy and say, yeah, he meant he meant to just throw out a racial slur on TV. He didn't mean a uh, a, a sort of from all angles, non-traditional guerrilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, little war attack. I mean, it's just. It's a shame this is where we are, and it's a shame that every person that's trying to share thoughts and explain the world, and whether it's sports or politics or anything else, has to just live in fear of social justice whiners uh, grabbing the pitchforks and making an example of somebody. we got more coming. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody. We're joined by Catherine Mangu Ward. She is Reason Magazine's editor-in-chief. Her latest piece on Reason.com is The Carrot, The Stick, and The Buggy Whip. Catherine, great to have you back. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Uh, first, let me ask, are we going to see Reason in the White House, uh, in, the, in the West Wing, at the, at the press conference? Because there's, there's some new faces. Uh, a lot of the press is getting all upset about this, but the New York Post is getting questions. Town Hall is getting questions. Breitbart. Why do we need some libertarian, libertarian love in there? What's going on? I agree. And if you have any uh, ins with the guys vetting those credentials, tell them to take a look at our application. We we did uh, on this very theory, we did apply uh, to see if we could get into the room. And we certainly did not do that under the Obama administration. But it struck us as a worthwhile gamble this time around. Yeah. OK, so I'm not crazy. All right. You know, I, I wish well, I could say I know people and, far. you know, I'll, I'll email you. And but I, I know people, but they're not going to they're not going to care what I say. Uh, but it's something to keep in mind here. I do feel like there should be some libertarian representation in that room. I think that good libertarian ideas Trump would be open to. I, and I know that people, oh, he's Hitler and he's the worst. But no, I actually think there are some ideas that I, I don't think Trump wants to. I, actually, do we know? What is his stance on weed? Do we know? I know li- the classic like old libertarians and weed. But I'm just wondering. That's I have no idea. Do you know? Trump, he said we don't know. Trump, we don't know a lot about. We do know what Jeff Sessions thinks about weed, though. And uh, let's just say we're Uh-oh. not inviting him to our next party. Oh no, he's one of those. He's yep. like lock him up. Well, it's a it's a gateway drug. The the well, the, no, the marijuana is uh, is bad for you and is going to ruin your life. Yeah. That stuff. I think he I think he's still pretty much at the reefer madness phase of his analysis of uh, marijuana policy. So um, yeah, it's not too encouraging. This is the guy who said basically, I thought the KKK was all right until I heard they smoked weed. Right? Like it's not looking good for legalization under Sessions. Oh, but that was a he was joking about that, right? Wasn't that? <laughs> a little, but he was. I mean, he has a long record of of being very opposed. I mean, to not that that's a, not that that's a good or funny joke. I'm saying he was kidding. It was. It wasn't like he was on the record at a deposition like, "Well, I was in favor of the KKK until they smoked weed." Uh, I, yeah. I think it was a very stupid joke, but yeah, okay. Uh, that's a, that. Yeah, for the Sessions thing. I mean, he's going to be uh, on immigration. I think conservatives are going to like him, or at least Trump will like him on immigration and the Trump movement. But I would like to think that that a guy like Trump, who, I mean, come on, right? Like we all. Although he doesn't drink, so I don't know how much he, he doesn't drink. I'm not. I'm not sure as, he's he's the party guy, the the gilded party boy that we uh, we'd like him to be in that respect. Man, all the spoiled brat trustafarians that I know in New York City definitely uh, dabbled in the substances. So maybe yeah. he did, maybe he didn't. But from what we know, yeah, he he does not drink. So okay. Well, are there any uh, are there any ideas, libertarian ideas that you do think that the administration will be favorable to or that they might even adopt in, in some of their policies or right now? Is it just like you don't know? Sure. I mean, let me do the obligatory. Uh, I am no fan of Trump uh, preface here, but. He oh, no, we is, knew that. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> he is absolutely uh, saying a lot of the right things about regulation as a as a broad category. I mean, I think one of the things we knew for sure we would see under President Hillary Clinton was a, a tremendous expanse, uh, expansion of the welfare state and the regulatory state. Um, I think Trump it remains to be seen on the welfare stuff. He could easily sort of go with his populist inclinations there and and leave that be or even expand it. But when it comes to regulations, uh, I think that um, certainly he will be reining in his bureaucrats uh, on a bunch of different subjects. And 
he's even promised to to take some regulations off the books that are that are harmful. So uh, I always reserve judgments when politicians make promises that sound good to me because they rarely follow through. But those promises at least sound good to me. Um, by the way, your piece here, the carrot, the stick and the buggy whip. Um, I have to say, uh, you you point you you talk about fascism and the use of fascism to describe describe Trump and and well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell everybody what's what's the carrot, the stick, and the buggy whip all about here. Sure. So uh, you know, I think there, uh, of course, there's been this kind of ongoing debate about, oh, is Trump a fascist? Is he Hitler? Um, you know, my conclusion in the <laughs> end is, I am I am not ready to deploy that word, but. The temptation to use it, uh, if you're looking from a strictly historically accurate perspective, one of the sort of prime characteristics of fascists of the 20th century was this kind of um, overly intimate relationship between big corporations and big government. Um, And this notion, um, which was sort of most prominent under Mussolini in Italy, that that it is the business of the state to. Um, to bully big corporations, but then also sort of favor them when when it's perceived to be in the national interest. And that is Trump's M.O. That is what we have seen from him so far, um, both in terms of his tweets, in terms of threatening um, sanctions, likely threatening canceled contracts for for people who um, provide goods and services to the U.S. government. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. The idea that Trump sees himself as the commander of the national economy for national ends uh, does not have a good historical pedigree, and people should be nervous about that. But, I mean, fascism, when people think fascism, don't they, aren't they, they're really talking about, like, World War II fascism, right? I mean, this is and, – and the moment you start to do an, an apples-to-apples comparison there of this country right now under Trump and anything that – whether we're talking Mussolini or we're talking um, Hitler, uh, it seems to me to be it's no it's not useful and it's and it's not accurate and it's not fair. Well, like I say, I ultimately do think for now we pull back from that term, but you know, and and the the overtones of overt violence sponsored by the state. Um, you know, one party rule, nationalization of industry. I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I do agree that it's that it is not analogous to what we were seeing in the mid 20th century in terms of the, the sort of really pernicious and aggressive type of authoritarianism. But um, I do think in terms of his economic policy, there's you know, he's very obviously going to be authoritarian and heavy handed, particularly toward American corporations. And, you know, it's it's a worthwhile parallel to say there is a targeted ethnic group that he's or a couple of targeted ethnic groups that he's um, blaming for some of our national ills. And again, not everybody who doesn't like Mexicans is a fascist saying that, you know, waters down the term and is not helpful. But, you know, it's worth keeping an ear to the ground. It's worth keeping an eye out. I'm not using the word yet, but I you're not you're not throwing I, fascist in the trash just in case you got to dust that puppy off at some point. And you use know, it. as a as a good reason staffer, I reserve the right to drop drop f bombs wherever and whenever I desire. And this particular f bomb, I'm going to keep in my back pocket. Now let me ask you, since we're since we're we're it's, it's so fun over libertarians. You guys are you guys are fun at parties. You're fun on radio. You're fun on TV. Good stuff. So. You have a campaign to undermine the current administration that relies upon, from what we know, and again, we have to base this on the reporting that we've seen, because 
I'm not still inside the government, so I can't see classified, and I don't work in the White House. So all I can do is look at what's reported in the various news outlets using sources that either are inside of government or, or more specifically in the White House and draw conclusions from that. But here's what it seems like we know at this point. There are people that have access to intercepted phone conversations, whether over the course of an FBI investigation, the international phone conversation, whether over the course of an FBI investigation or um, perhaps it's NSA FISA related material, which would be you know, e- e- maybe even crazier. I don't know. But the moment that your phone, the, the moment that it, it is normalized in America for classified phone intercepts to be released to the press for ex- obvious and explicit political purposes, isn't that police state stuff? And that's actually against the Trump administration and almost certainly involves previous regime holdovers or people that just left the uh, Obama administration at the very end. So, we're, yeah, that's some police state stuff there, is it not? Uh, I guess that's not the spin I would put on it. I mean, I, I think when we talk about the police state, what we mean is when private individuals have their communications routinely monitored and used against them by uh, by political players to say, OK, well, when people are people are making phone calls as agents of the government on lines that they know to be recorded or suspect to be recorded, um, you know, when that when that information then gets out, you know, it might not be a good thing. We might not say that is the sign of a healthy republic, but I don't think that's quite what we mean by the term police state. Well, it's it's what's done. In, I mean, when he, I'm not saying that means we're in a police state. I'm saying it's a police state tactic. And I mean, I know that this is done in, in other countries where as it, through the course of intel, national security intelligence collection, you know, the, the, the party in power will all of a sudden in the press, the party in power will release to either state media or, or not even necessarily state media, just a friendly, a friendly outlet that wants the scoop, just embarrassing information that they have on the other political party, someone in it. Uh, this is that's not true. You're libertarian. That's not really troubling to you. I'm, I'm actually I, I hold you in very high esteem. I'm like a little surprised, though. That doesn't really trouble you. Well, I think it depends on whether someone is acting as a private citizen or as an agent of the state. I am perfectly happy to monitor the goings on of people who wield power over me. And I think that that should be as transparent as possible. Again, in this particular case, the the massive amount of politically motivated leaking you know, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I do think that there's a difference between. Right, but is it a bad thing? You're not political... saying it's a bad thing either, which is where I think we're having a disconnect. You don't think that's a bad yeah. thing? I, I find I it very know. troubling. I, think I don't think it's a new thing that rival political factions leak damaging information about each other during transitions. Like it's a little more blatant this time around. Well, but like, sure, but, but, but I, I mean, don't F- FISA, assuming it's FISA, and we don't know that, but if it's Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act informa- information. I mean, this is top secret, and it's 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 very sensitive, both from the sources and methods, and a civil liberties perspective. I mean, because a lot of stuff can get get pulled up in FISA. If you can just have fishing expeditions where people can look through FISA and pull any information they want that happens to get swept up in that and use it in the press for political purposes, I that's I I, I find it very disturbing. You clearly do not. You're a little more, but I'm not sure. Also, Flynn acting as an agent of the government, he, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't officially in a government capacity at the time he made the calls. But still, uh, I know what you're saying. I mean, that's that's a little bit of like, eh, you know, that's a little maybe uh, gray area. But still, it's I, I find that very troubling. You're not. I thought I thought we'd have a libertarian come together moment here. We're like, yeah, they can't be uh, like using classified uh, information in order to undermine a political party or whatever. But 
You, I think you just do you not like. Flynn? I can't. I can't quite. Kumba, I can't quite kumbaya you here. I mean, I, it's. I think um, you know. First of all, there's a bunch of other things going on here, including, you know, the that a lot of that stuff shouldn't have been recorded in the first place. You and I can agree on that, right? You know, the the yeah. idea that there were that there's that those nets are too broad and that they are too. Uh, you know, they're too likely to pick up stuff that, that nobody should have records of in the first place because it was a private interaction. Um, so certainly that piece of it. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's classified information and then there's classified information. And it, we increasingly classify so much information that um, I worry that this debate about, oh, well, we have to be particularly cautious around classified information, but what the president had for breakfast is classified gets us into sort of messier territory in terms of the the civil liberties implications for these questions. There's a point where I, it's... I do feel like if, if Hillary Clinton had made a phone call to a Russian interlocutor and someone in the NSA or somebody at the FBI had, had given uh, the content of that phone call, which could only come through... Uh, a, a secure classified had given that content out to the media that that one I don't think they would have run the story that's a whole separate issue but also I that think, I they, think that there would be plenty of people who yeah I think and I think okay so we can agree that and I think there'd be people who would be apoplectic if that made its way into the news cycle so I mean look what they did with the Podesta and the Russian hacker all of a sudden that's like the Republicans problem I mean under the assumption that there's some anyway now we're getting see Kath I'm having so much fun we're, we've literally run up against the, the hard Hard out here. Um, Reason.com for your next piece. Reason Magazine, where do people go to subscribe, by the way? Reason.com. Come on over. Click on the subscribe link. Look at that, everybody. Synergy. All right, Catherine Mangerward, great to have you. Thanks for uh, mixing up today. We appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I repeat a question that I've asked you before, given what's happening with the leaks and the Flynn resignation and everything else. Trump tweeted out, the real story here is why are there so many illegal leaks coming out of Washington? Will these leaks be happening as ideal on North Korea, etc.? And a lot of people thought that that was, oh, you know, ha ha ha, Trump's so dumb. When I say people, I mean journalists. Uh, why is that the case? If Trump has a conversation where, you know, if Trump has a conversation where he is uh, in the midst of a discussion with a foreign entity and someone in the U.S. government has access to that conversation and it will make Trump look bad for some reason or another, um, why can't they leak that then? Under the standard that we're seeing right now, which is, well, Flynn, uh, Flynn was lying, so Flynn looks bad. Let's leak this. Why couldn't they leak information about a Trump phone call with a foreign head of state? And you might say, oh, that would happen. I mean, why would it happen over a secure line? The assumption, if you're dealing with North Korea, the assumption is, well, they're recording it, right? So, I mean, everyone, whether it's an open line or a closed, it doesn't really matter. The assumption would be that they'd be recording it, I would think. Uh, so, you know, you might as well just call them. And, and uh, you know, there's <laughs> the, the likelihood, I think, of anybody drawing a r real um, conclusion from this 
that there's nothing that they can do against the Trump administration that crosses the line when it comes to releasing classified information. I think that's very real. I think that's already there. Um, and that's that's a, a dangerous precedent to set, and we've already it's already been set. And keep in mind that the the, the malfeasance that they exposed with Flynn wasn't really malfeasance. It was pretty minor as all these things go. Um, all right, team, I'll be on uh, American Now Radio tonight, so go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash Buck Sexton, 6 to 9 Eastern. Until then, Shields high. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.